Thank you for joining us at Praise Chapel Paramount. We hope you enjoy this message from our midweek service with Pastor Rob Santiago. Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To share your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoy this message. I'm just going to get right into it. If you guys would just kind of bear with me. I kind of wrote like a six-hour sermon. I'm going to try to compact it in just, you know, two hours for you guys this evening. All right? So just kind of bear with me. I know everyone's kind of like, what? Is he serious? No, I'm not. Just bear with me. But um, I kind of want to talk about it, and it's kind of fitting for what just happened right now. I want to talk about declaration. How many of us have, have made a declaration in our life, whether it be, you know, we declare our love for, uh, you know, uh, um, our lover or our spouse, right? We make a declaration. I know when I was growing up, I remember that we, we were like big, at least the guys growing up in Northern California, we were big in, in the sports in my neighborhood. And so we would tell our parents like, hey, I, I want this jacket with, you know, with the 49ers on it, or I want this with the Raiders on it, right? How many 49er fans do we have here? It sounds like we have a few. Oh, wow. How many Raider fans do we have here? Okay, we got a few. How many Pittsburgh Steelers fans do we have here? What the heck? That's a lot. <laughs> That's depressing. Um, <laughs> um, but what you guys just did right now, I kind of walked in and you just declared something. Because a fan means a fanatic. It means that you're crazy about it, right? That you love that team so much that you would, you would actually scream and say, yeah, that's me. And I think about declaration, it's something that you, you do because it, it's part of your identity. It's what you believe. So what you declare is what, it, it's actually part of your makeup. You feel like you're a part of something. It gives you a sense of community. Amen. And so when you declare like that, you're saying that this is part of my identity. This is who I am. I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan. Okay. I uh, know there's not a lot of us. People ask me, did you grow up in Baltimore? Absolutely not. I, I think I drove by it one time. Why do I like it? Well, I like it because I like the coach. I like the, you know, I like, I like what the team dynamic is. I like the way they play football. That is my declaration. That is something that I love about that team or that organization, right? But we, <laughs> he's just upset because we're the AFC North division champions, Okay. He's still, he's still letting that marinate a little bit. It hasn't sunk in yet that his team finally won their first game. Four weeks in. <laughs> but it's a declaration like he just made, right? We declare things, right? We make declarations on things we care about. It could be about our family name. We carry our family name or our neighborhood, right? Our neighborhood, where we're from, we can declare that. We could declare our love for each other, our friendship. Amen. But we have the ability to declare because we know it's something about us, right? It's what we represent. And I just want to, I'm going to open up with some Old Testament just real quick for you guys. Because what we declare is extremely important to how you operate in God's kingdom. See, I know once we come here on Sunday mornings, um, I'm a, like I said, I'm a big sports fan too. A Sunday morning is a heavy sports day, 
but I've dedicated my life to the ministry. And when you do that, you have to put those things aside. Even though you declare it, there is something greater that you must declare. I'm getting to a point. There is something greater that you must declare. Amen? If you turn your Bibles to Haggai, who was a prophet in the Bible. I know you're probably like, what book is that? It's only two chapters. It's a minor prophet in the Bible. But Haggai chapter 1, if you would just listen to me for a second. In Haggai, the Israelites have just been, they were just coming back from being exiled by the Babylonians. Some of you guys that know history or in your school, right? You've learned about the Babylonian Empire. Well, the Israelites were a part of that. For hundreds of years, they were exiled. And now they had the opportunity to come back to reclaim their land. And when they came back, there were some expectations that God had. He wanted them to build the temple. He wanted them to build the temple. In other words, God expected them to do something, but rather they did something else. So if you turn your Bibles to Haggai chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, I'm just going to read it quickly. It says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Verse 7 says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Verse 9, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Sometimes we lose focus. And I begin to ask myself, about how much I declare in my own home or in my own life. How much do I declare God in my life? See, there are times when you get asked by a coworker, why do you go to church on a Wednesday? How many have been asked that question? A lot of us have been asked that question, right? Why do you go to church on a Wednesday? And I say, because I like going to church. Well, you're not perfect. I said, you dang right I'm not perfect. That's why I go to church. I need it. I need it just as much as the next person. And it's important to realize that you have to stand in this way with people, saying this is a part of my life. I am declaring this. I am dedicating my Wednesday night to this. I I declare it. It's not just something I do on Sunday, but rather it's something that lives inside of me that I have to get, I have to spend time with God. And I work eight hours a day. I got a family, and I don't have that peace and quiet, so I go to church to worship God. Amen? Amen? That's why, I go to, that's why I go to church on a Wednesday night. But you know what ends up happening is because God's temple isn't built, if you continue to read that passage of Scripture, God puts a famine in the land. But he puts a famine in the land, and people begin to start to realize, you know what, we got to get our lives right. we got to put our priorities straight. And I don't have that. I didn't give him that verse, but in verse 13 it says this. It says, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message Of the Lord to the people. This is what he said. I am with you, declares the Lord. All God God says is, hey, I know you're in this famine right now, but I am with you. You may not have everything you think you need or, or you think that you want, but don't forget, I am with you. 
And, and sometimes we think that we need to fix it by ourselves. How many have tried to do that? I try to fix things by myself all the time. And I'm just going to give a little bit of my testimony. It's not even written here. This, I just feel like I need to say it. I dealt with anxiety for a little bit. For actually, not for a little bit. It was several months. And I wasn't sleeping, so it turned into insomnia. And some of you probably, you probably know what I'm talking about. I've talked about this before openly. But I, and I, I just couldn't get, I, I couldn't get any sleep. I couldn't do anything. And I remember one time I just said, you know what, I was fed up. I couldn't, I couldn't do it alone anymore. And so my wife had to deal with me a lot. And so I said, you know what? I need to text the pastors. I need to text my pastors, man. I need to just text them. And it just so happens they're on their way to a conference. But I'm like, you know what? I'm still going to text them because I'm at, I'm, I hit rock bottom with anxiety and insomnia. And I, I remember all I did is sent a text. The pastors at the time got together. And Pastor Omar texted me. He said, so-and-so is going to be with you to pray with you. And I remember I walked into that room. They started praying with me. And then I talked to Pastor Omar. He started praying with me. And I'm like, that's it. That's all. Uh, that's all we're, we're done. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I walked home a little taller that day. And it began to break that evening. I was able to sleep. And, it, and, it, and it, it's funny. We, we start to do things, and we think we can do them on our own. See, this life that God had created, this world, wasn't designed for us to be alone. It wasn't designed for you to figure everything out on your own. I remember when I was a teenager, I would, tell my, I would act like I knew everything. How many of it? Maybe it was just me. <laughs> I act like I knew everything, right? And now I have kids, and they're acting like they know everything. And I'm like, man, is this the circle of life right here, you know? I'm like, dude, they act like they know everything. I'm like, you're you're 10 years old. Like, why are you telling me? You know, <laughs> but that's what happens. We start to think that we know everything. And we're like that with God. He's probably doing the same thing. I, like, why are you acting like you know everything? God's probably saying that about me sometimes. Bottom line is he wants us to prioritize him. We sometimes get so distracted with our own careers, right, with something else that it's just another distraction that we have to do, some other commitment that we have to do. We get so distracted over the, the simplest things. You know, I, 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 you know, I've been in ministry for a little bit here at this church for actually a long time now. And, you know, I, I've, I've actually dealt with a lot of different people. And I remember, like, I'll ask them, hey, you know, I, I missed you on, on a Friday night. You know, hey, I missed you, you know, for, for our home connect groups, you know, or our home fellowships. And they're like, well, I had, to, I had this friend that wanted me to go eat with him. And I'm like, you could have brought him? <laughs> what? Like, wow, all right. You know, like, but, you know, you think about that. You think, wow, you, you, you kind of get, get it at that point. We need to reprioritize things here. You know, I, and I remember when I first started coming to the church, um, um, I got asked to preach like two weeks later. I kid you not, by Mondo Luna. If he's watching, thanks, Mondo. It changed my life. But he asked me to preach like two weeks later, and I did. I did it. I was so scared, and I had no idea what I was going to talk about. But it worked. People, I think one person got saved that night. Um, <laughs> um, and it worked. Uh, you know, and, and then I remember I was under Pastor, Pastor Angel Flores under Fresh Fire. I was just one of his leaders. And when he was leaving, I was... 
I was like, man, you're going to start your own church. Like, what am I going to do? And I'm thinking, like, what am I going to do, man? Like, what? You're leaving us? Like, to go start that church, man? Like, what? It, can I come with? Like, well, how does this work? You know, and he's like, no, you can't come with us. I'm like, well, well, you know, they're probably going to ask you to be a leader, you know? I'm like, well, I don't want to do that. Like, I can't do that. I'm making every excuse in the book to not do it. You know, I'm, well, I want to have kids. You know, I, I, whatever, I'm going to bring them to Bible. You know, like, I started making up all kinds of stuff. He's like, Rob, I have kids too. I have, I have too many kids. <laughs> Love you, Angel, if you're watching. You know, and so he's just like, you know, we make up so many different excuses. But I'm, remember, I'm reminded by what Jesus said because he has the ultimate perspective. When I read the Bible, I try to think like, how was Jesus thinking? Right? Like when he says these things, how was he really thinking? What was he really thinking about? So I'm going to read to you. I'm going to go down this list of things that I wrote down. Okay? But in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says this But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Okay, so I got to put God first, and then everything else is going to fall into place. That's happened to me. I'm a walking evidence of that. Amen? Then, then it gets, it, it doesn't get as clear as, that's pretty clear, but then he gets on, he starts talking like this, check this out. He says he's the bread of life in John chapter 6, verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Okay, wow, okay, so he's making a declaration that he will quench your thirst, he will heal your hunger, all right, so then he says in John 10, 9, the light of the world. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Okay, when I think about darkness, I'm like, okay, well, that dark, I don't like when it's dark. It's scary. <laughs> so that means I'll never be afraid if I have Jesus in my life. He is the light of the world. He takes that fear, and he lights it up for me, and he provides understanding with that light. Then Jesus says this. This is probably one of my favorite ones because it's so simple. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He's a door. So if I go inside of that door, I will be saved and I will see the way things get God sees it. And then he says he's a good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd in John 10, 11. The good shepherd gives life for the sheep. I'm one of his sheep. Okay, so he's going to give, bring life into me. Then he says he's the resurrection and the life. In John 11, 25, 26, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Everlasting life. Because he is the resurrection. He defeats death. He is the resurrection. He also says, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said to him, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the door. He is that past, right? He is, he is everything. He is the one that I need to pray to. I need to pray to Jesus, right? Because he is interceding for me. He also says he's the vine. In John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. He is a provider. 
It's these simple verses that just, they're all in John. If you, if you want to read those tonight on your own again or tomorrow, it's all in John there. But these are simple verses that tell us what Jesus declared to be. One of my favorite topics is the crucifixion. And I just had the honor of teaching that last night a little bit. And we touched on it for our PCBI class. And, oh, thank you for the couple. Thank you, guys. But we talked about how people thought that Jesus never died. Like, what? He didn't die? So he was hanging out three days in that grave? You know, and you're like, whoa, he never died? Like, well, no, we know he died. The Bible's very explicit about that, that he passed away. And it's also documented outside the Bible in Roman history that Jesus was tried and he was put to death. So he did die. And he was dead for three days. But guess what? The body was never found, right? It was never found. So you know what people started to say, at least scholars, atheists, what they started to say? Well, the body was stolen. Oh, okay. Well, who stole it? Well, I don't know. Well, you can't really say that then. Because there was guards guarding that tomb. So what do you mean it was stolen, right? So that doesn't really work. Well, then the disciples took it. It's like, well, they took it. Well, that doesn't say, that means that they continued to lie about this. They fabricated something if that was the case. But how could the disciples take it? Because it wouldn't have a motive to do that. As a matter of fact, the disciples died. They died knowing that Jesus resurrected. They died. They put their life at risk knowing this. And it's important to remember, guys, that we serve a God that is real. We serve Jesus Christ. He is real. All the opponents, all the opponents, even during that time, they just had to do one thing to destroy all this Christianity. They had to produce a body. They could not produce that body. It was never found. As a matter of fact, the Bible documents that Christ began to reveal himself to other people. He began to reveal himself to the disciples. People saw him walking the streets. The road to Emmaus, he walked with people. After he rose from the dead, this is documented that he did that. So if the disciples were to fabricate anything, they would not have died for it. They died for it. Then I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul, his declaration. He used to persecute Christians. He didn't like them. He didn't believe in Jesus. One day he gets on his donkey. He says, I got to go to Damascus. He's on his donkey. Well, guess what happens? A beaming light, says the Bible says, shones in his face, knocks him off that, right? And it's Jesus speaking to him. So is why we call him the Apostle Paul. He was knocked off, completely changed. He's no longer the, the same person that was persecuting Christians, but he writes this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. He says this, That, however, is not the way of life that you learn. This is him giving instruction. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with, with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, when you believe in Jesus, it's more than just a belief. You are making a declaration, Jesus, I believe in you. And with that belief, with that belief, it's putting on a new self. 
this is where we get stuck. A lot of us get stuck right here. That new self sometimes isn't put on all the time. I'm going to speak to you bluntly here. But sometimes we take Jesus and we forget about him for a moment. We take Jesus and we say, you know what? Yeah, I've been changed. Yeah, I believe in you. Yeah, do you really believe in him? Because if you would, you would declare him. See, remember what I told you. A declaration is something that you care about. It's part of your identity. If you truly believed in him, then you would declare him. If you don't declare him, then you don't believe in him. It's important that you catch this, church, because there's some of us sitting in here right now that don't declare him at any moment. As a matter of fact, if you were to ask somebody, what did you do this weekend? You wouldn't even tell them, I went to church. I get asked that all the time. My friends know who I am, so they ask me, what did you do this weekend? I went to church. What did you do on Saturday? Well, I was actually running wire through the ceiling to help the church lighting. <laughs> and they're like, dude, you're at church all the time. You dang right I am. Sometimes I got to be. I got responsibilities. You know? I once, one of my buddies once said, isn't that a bit gimmicky? I'm all, when was the last time you went to a concert and it wasn't gimmicky? You know, like, you're going to pick on the church now because we have good lighting <laughs> that I help design. Take pride in my work, man, because it's for God. I can go to another church, but I don't, right? I can, go to, I can go somewhere down the street and just take a step back from ministry and just say, you know, I'm going to go to another church. And some, some of my friends have done that. I should say some of our friends have done that because some of us have been together a long time in this church, and we've seen that happen. But we stick it through. Why do we stick it through? Because God wants to mold, and he wants to shape you where you're at. It's none of this... I got to go over here, or this isn't the right time, or it's just, Lord, I'll come to you when I'm ready. That's the attitude we have. That's the society we live in, this independence, where we think we have to do everything alone. There are times where I don't know if the decisions I'm making are the correct ones. But I get on my knees, I pray, I talk to my pastor, I tell him, hey, I need, I need some guidance on this, you know, I'll, it doesn't matter, I'll tell, I'll tell my uh, fellow leader, you know, at the same time, hey, I need you to pray for me, or I'll tell a friend that maybe is not even a leader, pray for me. I may be your assistant pastor, but I may come to you and say, hey, can you pray for me? Because we're in this together. Because we all need prayer. But that's because I am declaring something. See, prayer is a form of declaration. If you're not praying, then you're probably not saved. And then you probably don't believe because you won't even declare it. It's okay. I know I'm yelling at you a lot. <laughs> but it's important for, for me to get this across to you, not only as an assistant pastor, but as your brother in Christ. Declare it. Stop messing around with it. Declare it. Because he died on that cross for you. He suffered that. You know what the most, the most interesting part I feel of the, of the crucifixion is? Is when Jesus is on that cross and he's battered and he's bloody. And I know it's, it's probably a rough memory to have. And you probably don't want to look at that. But you know what the Apostle Paul says? He says it's a sweet aroma. 
He says it's a sweet aroma to see that. Anyone smell something good? Maybe when mom's cooking some good food, right? Or you, you, you catch a scent, oh, that smells really good. You know, I want that. When you look at Jesus on the cross, the same thing should happen. Jesus, I want you. I want that. I know what you did for me. I want my life to be changed. I remember there were times where, you know, I was, I was actually, one time I was at a, um, I was at a, uh, it was a debate on 3rd Street prom and Promenade in Santa Monica. And there was this guy that would go out there, and I would go see him from time to time because he was pretty cool. And he would go out there, and he would just have a microphone and a laptop and a projector. And he, had, and he would just say, come and debate me. Jesus is real. And so I would, I would not debate him, but I would literally just be like, I want to hear this guy. This guy's cool, man. This is crazy. So this would go on all the time, and I've, I've even took some of my friends there, and um, I, would, I, I got to meet the guy, and he's a really nice guy, and he would, he would just debate, and people would come up to him and tell him, well, this isn't real, well, that isn't real, and well, factually speaking, this is it. And he said, and you know, it all just came down to one thing. How can you tell me that when God even changed my life? See, you got nothing to say to that. When God begins to change people's lives, you can't deny the power of the Holy Spirit at that point. You can't deny the power of the crucifixion. You can't deny that Jesus was lying in John, in the book of John that I just read to you. You can't deny that they could produce a body. They couldn't do it, right? You can't deny any of that. It's real. It's not fake. It's real. It's 100% real. I remember I walked into Biola University, my first class. The teacher was Flat out said, I'm a Messianic Jew. Some of you guys know what that means. I'm not going to get into the detail. But they said they're a, Jew, a Jewish person from a Jewish culture that believes in Jesus as the son of Savior. Okay, the son and Savior. So she began to teach us the Bible from a Jewish perspective. And it was amazing. One thing, though, she said, I'm going to be praying. And uh, you guys can come to class early. And you can come and pray with me. And so, like, I'm like, heck no, right? Like, I'm not going to do that. I don't really know her that well. <laughs> right? It's awkward. This is day one, lady. Take it easy. <laughs> Just messing. But it got around, right? So some people went. So, like, you know, we go, you know, after class, some people say, yeah, you know, I heard some people talking like, hey, man, I went to the prayer thing this morning, and it was weird. And they're like, what? It's weird? Like, so, hey, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean it's weird? Right? And they're like, yeah, you know, it's just, it's weird. You should go. And I'm like, what is it, like 15 minutes before class? They're like, yeah. I'm like, all right, y'all, you know, I'm, I'm here anyways. Yeah, I'll do it. So I walk in 15 minutes before class, and sure enough, she's getting ready to start her little prayer session. And so I'm like, hey, uh, yeah, you know, let's pray. <laughs> Very awkward, right? And so... Here's this freshman kid, you know, very awkward. And so um, she begins, I'm, I start praying, um, and she puts on some music, and she just begins to pray, but she's praying with her whole body, it seemed like. It was very awkward for me. It was something that I had never seen before. There was other students there kind of like. <laughs> Mind you, her culture's a little different. Okay, so I, I, the talking continued after class. Hey, you, you, you saw it, right? It was a little weird. Yeah, it was weird. I'm not going to lie. You know, it was weird. And they're like, yeah, you ever seen any prayer like that? No. 
Is that biblically sound? This is, this is Christian school, so. Yeah, you know, I think it is biblically sound. Maybe we're just missing it. So I said, I'm going to ask her. Oh, no, you can't ask her. I said, no, I'm going to ask her. So I asked her. I said, hey, uh, we noticed during your prayer, you're like in the corner, like standing up and, and praying like your whole body. I'm, I'm just really curious. Like, why do you do that? And she goes, she goes, in my culture, we pray with every ounce of strength that we have. And she, like, rocked me at that point. I'm like, well, in my culture, we don't. <laughs> and I, I didn't say that. <laughs> Should have. <laughs> but it's true. In our culture, we don't. We don't. And uh, who are we to say how somebody should pray like that? Let me tell you something. We stopped talking about the way she prayed, and we started doing it with her. And a lot of people adopted that, like where they would just pray in the corner. And uh, if you ever go to in Jerusalem or in Israel, uh, sorry, Jerusalem, you'll see that the, the Wailing Wall, people are praying like that. And they're praying up against the wall. And they're really just seeking God 100%. And it made me think, when I was, I was writing this sermon, it made me think about what a form of declaration. To pray to the point where you, you know, you may not look cool doing it. You know, and there are times where I've prayed in my life that I did not look cool doing it. A lot of the times it's been in private, right? Just me and God, praying together, you know, just seeking God. And my me just being a mess in tears or and it, it's just sometimes it's just not a prayer is just not a pretty sight but it is a form of declaration that needs to take place and I want to encourage you guys as, as just uh, fellows brothers and sisters we just came off this whole theme of prayer and uh, for some of us I feel like it's a it's a refreshing thing we, we even did a fast together for several days and I just encourage you guys, don't stop. Don't stop doing that because even from a pastoral standpoint, to see you guys doing that is an encouragement to every single soul in the building. It doesn't matter title. You do it. You pray. You pray. You pray for people. You know, if people are asking for prayer, pray for them right then and there. Pray for them right then and there. Don't say, oh, we're going to pray. I'll keep you in prayer. No, do it right now. You're in church. Where else can you do it, right? Pray right then and there. But prayer is a form of that declaration, church. And there needs to be that, that prayer of surrendering to God. So, you know, I'm, I just want to encourage you guys. We get to a point in our Christianity where sometimes we get stuck. We just get really stuck. And we're expecting something, some external factor to kind of push us out of that. I've been stuck before, and there's no external factor that pushed me out of it. It was me making a conscious decision to get out of where I needed to get out of. And sometimes that requires you to cut off friendships. Sometimes that requires you to make sacrifices you didn't think you needed to make. But I'm not standing up here telling you something because it's a lie, because it's been fabricated. I'm telling you something that changed my life. I'm telling you something that has not only changed my life, it has changed my family tree. 
I'm raising my kids in the name of God. I'm not lying to myself. Amen? But we will not grow unless we get to a point where we ourselves are declaring God at every moment we can. When you're with your friends at work, they may not be saved. or You don't tell them where you were this weekend. Tell them where you were on Wednesday. Say it. I was at church. I saw a wedding on Wednesday night. I saw people commit themselves to each other and to God. What would you do on Wednesday night? Yeah, exactly. My Wednesday night is way better than your Wednesday night. We love God in this church. And because you guys have loved God, I fell in deeper love with him. Ministry is one of the best things that, have ever, that has ever happened to me. Omar, you're, you already knew. You already knew. Where are we? We need to hang out more. I was just about to call you up. But ministry is something that is fabulous. It has kept me grounded. It has kept me accountable. And it's probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life to just say yes to things. Yes, I will put a sermon together. Yes, I will preach. Yes, I will do that. Even in its most inconvenient time, saying yes will have such a huge payout. And when you have an opportunity to serve God and do and make a declaration for him, and declare him in your life, you'll start to see some major changes take place in yourself. I've seen a lot of people come here and leave. I've seen lives change and they get stuck and they never get out because they're waiting for some external force or some factor to take place. And it doesn't happen like that. See, it was just like what we read in Haggai. You have to do something. You have to act. Stop worrying about your house and start worrying about God's house. God wants you to spend time with him. See, that's the reason why he wanted his house built. Is he wanted to spend time. Because what do they do in God's house? They worship. They pray. They begin, lives begin to change. You feel the Holy Spirit. That's what happens in God's house. That's what happens in church. We need to start focusing on what's happening now. Not what's happening in our home. Not what it, when we come here, this is our time to spend with God. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.